You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. To keep uh, or to guide you, uh, to instruct you, and to discipline you, as we will talk about in a little bit, um, and honestly, just to keep y'all from doing a lot of the dumb stuff that y'all do as kids. I've been there. Um, so the command is very straightforward um, to the kids in the room. Obey your parents because it is right to do so. It is in accordance with God's law for you to obey your parents. Exciting stuff. How are we feeling, kids? We good with that? We can move on? No. Uh, let's, let's, take a, let's take a closer look because there's something deeper that Paul's getting at here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, now that phrase, in the Lord, that's not just like arbitrary Christian jargon that Paul is throwing in there for the heck of it. This is a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament, and what it means to do something in the Lord is to do something with the goal of worshiping and obeying God. So kids, your obedience to your parents is pleasing to the Lord. It's obedience to the Lord. You are fulfilling a core part of what it means for you to follow Jesus as a child when you obey your parents. In fact, when you are obedient to your parents, you are actually walking in the footsteps of Jesus himself, who came not to do his own will, but the will of his Father. You get to actually display the character of Christ to your parents when you obey them. How cool is that? Let's move to verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if you've had uh, some time in the Bible, if you're decently familiar with your Bible, this might sound uh, familiar to you uh, because Paul here is referring back to the fifth of the Ten Commandments that you can find in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to get to that in a second. But let's start with honor. Um, Because this is a little different than the first command uh, given to children to obey their parents. Obeying your parents definitely falls under the umbrella um, of honoring your father and mother, but there's more going on here. This is less about submission and obedience and more about showing respect, giving dignity, ascribing value, treating them as precious. A few things to point out here. Firstly, if you were like me in here, and you are uh, not currently a parent or under the authority of your parents, and you thought today's sermon was not for you, think again. Uh, The command to honor your father and mother is not only for children who are under the authority of their parents, but for everyone. If you're in here and you were born, the command for you to honor your parents is for you. Um... And this is honestly something that we do really poorly, uh, specifically in the West, especially with our elderly population. Um, Youth is treated as a virtue in Western culture, and we devalue and stigmatize our aging population in a lot of ways. They tend to be some of the most lonely and forgotten people in our society. As we get older and culture changes quickly, we tend to disregard our parents' old ways of thinking or spend a lot more time thinking about how our parents messed us up than how they positively impacted us. Imagine the influence that we could have in and through our families simply by thanking our parents for their positive influence in our lives as we get older, for forgiving them for the mistakes they made. 
Imagine the impact we could have in and through our families by caring for them in their old age. Now, I know for some of you, or maybe for a lot of us, I don't know, this probably brings up some mixed emotions. Maybe you had parents who were not very present or who split up when you were young um, or honestly just raised you in a way that did more harm than good and you spent a lot of your adult life digging up and dealing um, with pain and immaturities in yourself that they passed down to you. And if that's you, um, I know this idea of honoring your parents is not easy. And what I want to remind you of um, is that you have a Father in heaven um, who loves you unconditionally, um, who does not hurt you, who does not leave you, does not forsake you, and ultimately who forgives you. Um, And the reminder to you today is that where your parents may have failed you, your Father in heaven has not. We live in a culture that is uh, incredibly driven by performance, where your value and your worth are determined mainly by what you can contribute to the world, um, and a culture that is incredibly unforgiving. uh, Cancel culture is rampant. We are taught by our culture that the moment somebody doesn't add value to our life, we should cut them out of it. And I'm not here talking about um, abusive or in any way dangerous relationships. Those often require a certain level of distance um, and cutting off that is necessary. What I'm talking about here is relationships where reconcilable, reconcilable conflict has taken place or one party has failed the other. When we show honor to our parents even though they may have failed us or hurt us or simply done an imperfect job, uh, we image Jesus to our families and to the world. We move towards our parents in compassion and showing them honor. I mentioned it a second ago, but you can't talk about honoring your parents without talking about forgiveness. None of our parents are perfect or even very close. This is why us constantly having the eyes of our hearts enlightened to the revelation of Jesus, that we are building our lives around remembering and responding to the gospel is so important. If I want to be the kind of person who forgives and shows honor to my parents, then I need my heart to be marinating in the reality that God first forgave me. Let's move into the second half of that verse. It says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now this uh, comes from Exodus 20, verse 12, as I mentioned earlier. And this is when Moses uh, meets with God on Mount Sinai, representing the people of Israel uh, to receive the law. And at this point in the biblical story, God has begun to form a people for himself by bringing Israel out of slavery from Egypt and is now preparing them to enter the promised land which is the land referenced at the end of that verse. What God is doing in giving the law is making Israel into a people through whom he will bring blessing to the world. God is telling them through the law, here is how you flourish as my people in the land that I am giving to you. In regard to this specific commandment to honor your father and mother, Paul points out that this is the only of the Ten Commandments to have a promise attached to it. This is not a guarantee of a longer life, uh, but it's a general principle about 
how to live life in a way that God has designed you to. The kind of person who honors their parents is likely a person who has flourishing relationships, a person who is not carrying resentment and bitterness in their hearts that weighs them and those closest to them down, a person who will live long in the land. This is a gracious person. But there's another layer here as well. When Paul is writing these words in the first century to the first century church, I think he has the kingdom of God in mind. Paul is now describing what citizens of this kingdom are like. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are living in response to the revelation of Jesus are the kind of people who show honor to their father and mother. Let's move on, shift our focus a little bit, um, and get at the parents for a little bit in the room. So we'll start in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I don't think uh, Paul is likely solely addressing fathers here. The first century Greco-Roman world um, was very patriarchal. So Paul is likely addressing both parents through the father. And he starts by saying, do not provoke your children to anger. This phrase gets translated a few different ways in different English translations that I think give us a fuller picture of what he's talking about here. And here are a few of them. Do not exasperate your children. Do not aggravate your children. Do not drive your children to resentment. Do not nag your children. Do not embitter your children. I think what's first implied here, parents, uh, is that you are not always right. Uh, God has given you authority over your children, but that does not justify any use of that authority. He has entrusted your children to you and authority over them for his purposes. So what should we do instead? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That phrase, bring them up, is the opposite of provoking your children to anger. This is referring to the nurture and the care of a parent. Discipline and and instruction here are two sides of the same coin. By the discipline of the Lord, Paul is talking about training in righteousness. This is about training your children in the way that they should go. This is about your kids knowing from your teaching and from the example of your life what it means to follow Jesus. If you are a parent in here, you know that your kids uh, need no help learning how to do wrong. Uh, They don't need anyone to teach them how to hit their siblings or how to not share or how to be disobedient. They're sinful by nature. They do need your help and guidance in doing what is right. They need you to point them to Jesus and show them what it means to live as humans created in the image of God. You are their primary example for what it means to understand and respond to the revelation of Jesus. The instruction of the Lord is referring to warning against wrongdoing. It's the other side of the same coin. If discipline is training your kids in righteousness, the instruction of the Lord is warning against wrongdoing or correction in the case of wrongdoing. With grace and patience, 
We need to help our kids course correct when they inevitably mess up, fail, and make poor choices. Parents, you need to know what struggles your kids face growing up in 2023. You need to know what the dominant cultural narratives and messages are that your kids are marinating in. And we need to learn how to confront these narratives and false stories with the true and better story of who Jesus is and what he says about who they are and what their place in the world is. And we need to provide our kids with an example in our own living of what it looks like to walk in the instruction of the Lord ourselves. Uh, let me give a really simple uh, but impactful example of this from my own life. Uh, so I played basketball uh, growing up. That was kind of my main sport. And uh, that was where I found a lot of my value and purpose as a kid. Uh, how I was feeling about myself and my life was, uh, for a while, especially in high school, pretty unhealthily tied to how I performed on the court. So after good games, was feeling pretty good about myself, was feeling myself, uh, was feeling great. After bad games, I was upset. If I didn't get playing time, I was bitter with my coaches. Uh, I felt bad about myself. I got down on myself. And this, uh, this is the dominant cultural narrative or story uh, that I was marinating in at my school, right? The, the most liked, respected, cool kids at school uh, were the, the best-looking ones, the best, the best athletes. Um, and so this is where I'm finding my value. So my dad came to all of my games, um, usually straight from work, and he would drive me home from a lot of my games. And over time, I started to notice something. Uh, my dad was always really excited for me uh, and celebrated with me when I had good games. Um, and that encouragement was really valuable. But when I had bad games, he still smiled at me. He would tell me I hustled well. He would maybe even offer me a tip or two uh, of what I could have done better. Uh, but he never treated me any differently after losses or after bad games for me than he did after wins. And sometimes, in my worst and most frustrated moments, he would even say something along the lines of, it's just a basketball game. And not in a d dismissive way that disregarded like my desire to play well and my love for basketball, uh, but in a caring and nurturing way. Whether he realized he was doing it or not, uh, what my dad was reinforcing in me over time through his actions and occasionally his words was that my worth was not tied up in how well or how poorly I played. I learned through those interactions that I'm loved not because of my performance, but because I'm created and loved by God. So through just simple care and encouragement and truth-telling, my dad instructed me in the way of the Lord. Um, I understand sometimes the situations that call for course correction with our kids will be a little bit more dramatic than that, um, especially as kids get older and are exposed to more and more worldly and even dangerous things. Um, and for us to instruct or course correct our kids in these moments in a way that builds them up and nurtures them and doesn't provoke them to anger, uh, we must entrust our kids to the Lord. Um, one of the most powerful human motivators, like one of the single most powerful motivations that gets people to act um, it's fear. It's fear. Many different professions have uh, taken advantage of some of the 
uh, psychology and behavioral science that proves this in order to get people to act. Marketers and advertisers are the, the main culprits of this. Notice the next time you uh, see a, uh, an item of clothing on sale, they don't try to primarily convince you to buy the item uh, dis by describing the quality of it. Uh, they put in large font on the sign what the end date of the sale is um, so that you feel a now or never sense of urgency that this is your only chance um, to get a good deal on them. Or think about a time when a group of your friends uh, were going out to do something and you went despite not really wanting to uh, because the fear of missing out was stronger than your desire to go. Maybe one of the most overt examples of this um, is politics. Yeah, the 25-year-old guest preacher is going there. Here we go. Over the past few elections, our politics on both sides of the aisle have become less about what each side will do to improve society and promote human flourishing and more about provoking fear about what the other side will do to harm society and destroy human flourishing if they are in power because they know that fear motivates and mobilizes people. Here's why I tell you this, parents. Your kids, at one point or another, are going to be exposed to the ways of the world. It's inevitable. Regardless of how you choose to school them, or who you allow them to be around, or how much screen time you give or take from them, uh, this is inevitable. They will be exposed to the ways of the world at some point in their lives. And what I'm not at all saying is that you do not have a responsibility to protect your children and regulate their exposure to things of the world as they grow up. I understand that we live in a day and age where that is probably harder than it has ever been to do. You 100% have that responsibility. Here is the point to what I'm saying. As followers of Jesus raising children... Your ultimate job as a parent is not to just protect and shelter your kids from the world. It's to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord so that they can be sent into the world. And we can't do that if we are motivated by fear in our parenting. Here's the good news. God is sovereign over every child's life in and out of this room. He cares more deeply for them than we could even fathom, more than even we ever could. So knowing our kids will make mistakes, knowing that God is in control, my encouragement to you today, parent, is to lay your fears and concerns for your children at the foot of the cross, whatever they may be, and raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, trusting him with your children's lives. At New City, that's our, our church in Austin, we like to describe what it means to be a disciple of Jesus like this. Being with him, being transformed by him, and joining him in his mission. If you are a parent uh, and you are a follower of Jesus in this room, um, this is your primary way of joining Jesus in his mission. Part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to multiply your faith in others. And what better way to do that than with your own children? And here's the reality. And you've maybe uh, recognized this if you're an adult in the room and you're still uncovering ways that you have uh, been formed by uh, who your parents are, for better or for worse. Uh, but for better or for worse, you will replicate yourself in your kids in some way or another. 
you are the most influential person in your child's life in terms of who they become. It's not their youth pastor. Uh, it's not their teachers. It's not their coaches. It's you. Um, here's a silly example of this. Our pastor, Justin, uh, and his wife, uh, Rebecca, have a four-year-old named Shepard. And Shepard is quite a character, uh, super energetic, super charismatic, big personality, all of that stuff. Um, and he is a lot like his dad. Um, and Justin does a lot of teaching and preaching, so he spends a lot of time in front of people, uh, talking, all of that stuff. And so they took this video. They, uh, I guess they were off in another room doing something, and they heard Shep kind of like talking to himself in the living room. Uh, so Rebecca kind of like snuck around the corner with her phone and found Shepard like pretending to preach to a crowd. Like he's doing all of Justin's mannerisms. He's uh, spouting out whatever like Jesus phrases he remembers from his like nighttime story time. Um, it's hilarious. It's, it's a silly example. Um, but your kids are watching you and who they become uh, is deeply influenced by who you are. Now, that's a big responsibility. Um, so let's remember that, uh, that only God can save our kids. We have no power on our own to do that. Only, um, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can our kids uh, be saved and know and walk with Jesus. And he has simply just asked us to be faithful and to trust him with the results. Um, but your children are so heavily influenced and shaped by who you are. And so I want to quickly highlight two ways I think we can use that influence to bring our children up uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first one is really simple. Um, we, walk in our, we walk in it ourselves. We walk in the discipline and instruction of the Lord ourselves. Um, here's the reality I face as a college minister uh, trying to reach college students at the UT campus in 2023. This fall... 70% of the incoming freshmen that grew up in church will leave sometime over the next year. 70%, 7 out of 10. Now, I think there's a complex list of reasons why that is happening, but I think one of them is this, and I'm speaking broadly here. I think we have gotten better at passing down Christian culture and tradition than we have at showing our kids what it means to follow Jesus. Parents' Sunday gathering and youth group and all of those things are good things for your kids, but what they need more than anything is they need parents who are deeply involved in their lives and say to them, follow me as I follow Jesus. They need you to both teach them in word and action what it means to walk in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents, if you want your children to build their lives on the revelation of Jesus, then start with yours. And then the second one is also really simple, but so deeply impactful and profound. Apologize to your children. You are going to make mistakes as a parent. You're going to sin against your kids. Ask for their forgiveness. Not just because it is right, though that is reason enough, but because this is the most concrete example you can give your kids of what repentance looks like. And it's incredibly countercultural. It communicates to your kids, hey, I'm a sinner too, and sometimes I'm going to fail you as a parent. I'm not always right. 
one of the dominant stories the world is telling your kids right now um, is that they should be unapologetically themselves. And this often means both good and bad. It's a way of thinking that reinforces in us, if there are problems in my relationships, it's with the people around me, not with me. When we apologize and repent for our sin to our kids, we reinforce to them that we are all sinners, meaning that we make mistakes and hurt each other, even our parents, and we need forgiveness. That's a powerful thing. That builds relational equity and trust between you and your kids, and that's how you nurture them instead of embittering them. And so this is what it means for us to respond to the revelation of Jesus in our families. Children, obey and show honor to their parents as they grow older. Parents, nurture and guide and correct their children with grace and patience and repentance. This is what is possible for the family whose eyes have been opened to the true story of the world and their place in it. When we live our role in the family as a response to the gospel, we get to display the character of Jesus to one another. And I believe that God wants to bring blessing to the world through those families. Imagine the impact we could have on our parents and elderly by going out of our way to show them honor. Imagine the kind of impact we could have on our street when our neighbors enter our home and witness this kind of family. Or kids, the kind of impact you could have on your friends when you don't resist your parents' authority but obey them. Our college campuses are the highest densities of lost people in the U.S. The University of Texas, as far as its percentage of uh, believers, is more lost than communist China, where Christians are not allowed to publicly practice their faith. Imagine the impact our families could have if we bring up our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord and send them to those college campuses as laborers for Christ. There's a passage um, at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi uh, that describes uh, the day that God judges the world, rids it of sin, and ushers in the new creation. And in the final verse, this is the last verse of the Old Testament, we get a beautiful description of what God will do on that day. It says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. As we look forward in hope to the day that this becomes a reality, let us continue to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened by the revelation of Jesus. And let us pray that God would make our families into the kind uh, described in Ephesians 6, and that he would bring blessing to the world through them. Let's pray.